1: Welcome to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series, written and performed by Scott Sigler. The Gangster is suitable for ages 12 and up and contains graphic violence. The Gangster is also available as a signed, numbered, limited edition hardcover while supplies last. To order, go to scottsigler.com store. Hello, junkies. How is your summer going? Ours is going great. How great? Well, we just got the physical proof for the dust jacket for the gangster hardcover into our hot little hands. It had to be approved so the printer could start printing those as well as the book. We approved it. It's ready to go. And we are now on track to ship the gangster hardcover by Labor Day. That is early September 2021. If you are not in the U.S. of A., so, you still have time to get yours ordered. If you haven't, that's at scottsigler.com slash thegangster. Get it ordered so we can get that lovely, lovely book to you when it comes out. This week, I am working on a Murray Curie story that I promised a long time ago to a very lovely editor. And to be honest, I thought I would be done with the GFL Book 7 second draft by now. Which is why I agreed to do the story. Turns out, I am not done with GFL 7 second draft. It's a big book and a lot of stuff happens in it. I got to get it right. Oh, new live stream alert. This is going to be super fun. I will be on Twitch and probably Facebook and YouTube doing a new show called Monster of the Week. Where I have a creative person or a scientist come on and geek out over their favorite monster. It can be some something from a movie, something from TV, something from a video game. As long as there is a visual element to it that we can share on the show. By the time you hear this episode, episode 33 of the Gangster, you may have missed the live stream of Jonathan Mayberry, author of the Joe Ledger series, being on to talk about the werewolves from Dog Soldiers. But don't fret. That episode is up over at youtube.com/godsigler. You can go check it out there. These guests I'm lining up, they are great. Friday, July 23rd. We have Danny Bilson, co-writer of The Rocketeer and Defy Five Bloods, talking about the 1940s monster, the Creeper. On Friday, July 30th, Helldivers author Nicholas Sansbury smith is on to discuss the original Terminator, the Terminator from the first movie only. Friday, August 6th, discussing The Thing from the John Carpenter movie. It is actress and author Rachel True, who starred in movies like The Craft, Half-Baked, and more. If you want to interact with these peeps live during our live stream... All shows are Fridays, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. You can watch it live at facebook.com/scottsigler, twitch.tv/scottsigler, and youtube.com/scottsigler, or catch the episodes after the fact on all those platforms. Now, let me get you caught up on the story so far for the gangster, and then we're all gonna skip to the loo, my darlings. Previously on The Gangster. Quentin and Greedock's rivalry has raged for years. Greedock ratted on Quentin to the Kratorakian Empire, exposing the true size of the Church of Quentin Barnes, which led to Quentin's arrest and torture in the borehole. Now that Quentin has Greedock held captive, what must Quentin do to clear his name? And what must he do to the gangster to protect his future? His life and the lives of his family. Find out next on the Gangster episode number thirty three. Consequences The mind-out asteroid was similar to the one that housed the borehole, one of hundreds in a belt that stretched out over millions of kilometers in an otherwise unoccupied area of space. Following the Oleron, Quentin piloted the little ruler down the asteroid's access shaft. The descent brought it all home. Quentin had kidnapped a powerful sentient being and was going to force that individual into an irreversible change without that individual's consent. Wasn't that better than murder? Quentin wasn't so sure anymore. This endeavor had already cost three lives. Would a fourth make any difference? Quentin landed the little ruler at the base of the shaft, next to the Oleron. Shortly after, the tight-beam incoming communication alert sounded. Quentin made the connection, expecting to see Killian's face in the tank, But instead, a googly-eyed, stuffed purple elephant stared back at him. Hello, Zan, Quentin said. Did you do something different with your hair?
2: You should stick to football.
1: The googly eyes wobbled with each word.
2: Comedy does not seem to be your strong suit.
1: Quentin smiled for what was likely the first time since he'd been taken by the CMR. I've heard that before. I am not surprised. We
2: need you, Virak, and the pilot in exosuits right away. I will guide you to the control room where you will meet the others.
1: Quentin glanced at the ambient temperature readout. 199 Kelvin. Are you sure about that? It'll take a couple of hours to get the impulse engines heated up enough to fly. We won't be able to leave if the bats find out we're here.
2: I am sure, Zan said. The facility here is deep enough. We can have partial power inside, but we must not risk transmitting any detectable signal from the Oleron or the Little Ruler. Shut everything
1: down. Join the others in the airlock. Quentin thought of her agoraphobia "'anthropophobia, and, well, all the other phobias she supposedly had. "'You'll be joining us inside, then? "'If the Oleron shuts down, you can't stay in there.' "'The purple elephant shook side to side. "'The lovely face you see now
2: will join you, but I will stay in the ship. "'My quarters are equipped for situations
1: like this. "'Do not worry, Quentin. We know what we are doing.' "'I'll be there shortly,' Quentin said. "'But I need to hold off putting the little ruler into mothball mode.' Vyrak needs to stay here until, uh, well... Until the Toltafine has begun? Yes, until then. And the pilot might as well stay here, too. Which made one less risk factor to consider. Very well, Zan said.
2: Tell the pilot that the docking clamps on the little ruler can only be released by me in case she is independent enough to try and escape. As soon as the Toltefine begins, both Vyrak and the pilot will need to be in the facility proper, so tell them to prepare whatever species-specific supplies they will need for a long stay. The little ruler will be shut down completely, life support included. Do you understand?
1: Zan sounded more like the captain of the Ulleran than Killian did. I do, Quentin said.
2: Then get over here, immediately. We need to begin the process.
1: Like most starships, the Little Ruler had emergency exosuits for all sentient species. Virac traveled with Greedock so often, the warrior even had a suit on board with his name on it. The stocked human suits were too small for Quentin, so he had to operate a heavy G-rig. The arms were too big and the legs a bit too small, but he managed well enough to exit the yacht and make his way to the main airlock. There was no air or power in the corridors. Zan directed Quentin through three more airlocks before he was finally able to take off his exosuit helmet. He kept the black suit on as it was a bulwark against the facility's biting cold. Low lights cast the facility in a dim glow. Quentin knew he was in a different asteroid, some forty million kilometers from where he'd been imprisoned, but the place was so similar to the borehole, the corridors, the stone walls, the metal grate floors, almost identical. When the bats took over the borehole, they must have simply added cell doors and started putting people away. Had they done that because it was efficient or because it was cheap? Quentin had never really thought about the Kretorakian Empire's economy. Maybe it was expensive maintaining a military that controlled most of the civilized galaxy. Quentin joined Killian and Beans in the control room. There wasn't much to the place. Most of the equipment that had once been here had been removed long ago, leaving empty brackets and the blank holes of removed rivets and panels. A portable console had been brought in from the Oleron. Beans was at it. The Fluffball's open-chested Schmeck standing close by. The console's monitor showed Greedock the Splithead locked in a large storage room or small warehouse area. The room's rough-hewn stone walls looked just like the ones in the cell that had held Quentin for weeks. Killian wore an armored gray exosuit. It looked like military surplus. Tower marines, maybe? Projectile dents in the chest plate. Parts of it were literally held together with duct tape. The Oleron crew really seemed to love that stuff. Killian had a leather satchel slung over his shoulder. He kept his hand near the grip of the orphaner pistol holstered at his left thigh as if he expected the ancient, gutted room to suddenly birth unanticipated threats. He had a blue nanosite bandage on his forehead, and his eye looked far less swollen. On the monitor, Greedock's single eye glared. He was staring straight into the camera. Stripped of his necklaces, bracelets, and rings, he looked naked, save for the white sling that cradled his broken palp arm. Hateful little creature, Killian said. But he's one tough biscuit. I'll give him that. Truer words had never been spoken. Greedock captured. All alone. He looked little indeed, and yes, so hateful, but he showed no sign of fear. One tough biscuit. Was there anything Quentin respected more than toughness? He shook his head, chasing away the thought. He would not let himself feel that way about Greedock. Time to finish this. Let's get this done, Quentin said. Killian nodded. Massal wants to be there for it. He told me that on the trip here. Multiple times. He's very insistent. Can we trust him not to cause any issues? Quentin absently touched the metal brace on his nose, there to protect the wound while internal nanocytes repaired cartilage and bone. Massal won't be a problem, he said. How about you? Will you come? The older man nodded. I wouldn't miss this for the world." He offered Quentin the leather satchel. Let's do it.
0: In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geo engineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.
2: Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwein, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling-medical-investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.
1: Missal joined Quentin, Killian, and Beans in his bulky schmeck outside the door to Greedock's cell. The worker was a wreck. Unlike Quentin and Killian, he didn't need an exosuit to ward off the cold. The quith had far broader temperature tolerances than humans did. Masal's jacket was wrinkled and rumpled, as if he'd slept in it. Smudges of grease, dirt, and maybe food dotted the blue fabric. The thin gold braid on his right sleeve was frayed, torn. Unmoving yellow fibers lined his cornea. He looked exhausted, as if the weight of the galaxy pressed down on him, making him stoop and hunch. Missal, Quentin said, are you sure you want to be here for this? The worker shifted his weight from one foot to the next, a habit he had when he was nervous or anxious. Greedock
2: is my shamikath. I must be with him until the end.
1: Killian rested his hand on the holstered orphaner. You're not going to try anything, I hope as if the man needed to use the pistol as a threat. He was four times Massal's mass and had beaten Virak the Mean in a hand-to-hand fight. Quentin adjusted the leather satchel slung over his shoulder. Massal is smarter than that, Quentin said. Let's go. Beans opened the door to Greedock's room. Big, mismatched schmeck feet clumped as Beans went in first, just in case Greedock had planned a last-ditch escape effort. Quentin followed Beans in. Greedok stood in the center of the cell, like a fighter standing in the center of the octagon, ready to welcome any challenger. The leader was all of three feet tall. He'd been kidnapped. His bodyguards had been killed or had turned traitor. One pedipalp arm was broken, yet he radiated confidence, as if everything that happened thus far had been part of his plan. Killian came in next, followed by Massal. The scent of the stone walls hammered at Quentin, dug at his memories. It smelled just like his cell. You have come to
2: negotiate my release, Greedock said. It is about time. Let us begin. Make the first offer, Barnes. What is it you want?
1: Quentin shook his head. You're not dealing your way out of this one.
2: You brought me all the way to this nameless rock to execute me? Then be done with it, or let us dispense with such pretense. I am a terribly busy sentient and have many things to do. This kidnapping has put me significantly behind schedule.
1: The way the Blackbird leader talked, the commanding tone of his voice. Quentin almost had to remind himself that Greedock was the prisoner. I told you I wasn't going to kill you, Quentin said.
2: Are you going to torture me then? Or perhaps you don't have the stomach for it. Perhaps you will have Virac and Masal do it for you, since they have shown where their true loyalty lies.
1: In those words, Quentin heard something beyond the leader's anger. He heard a bit of anguish. Greedock was a master of controlling his emotions, but Virak's betrayal had cut too deep to hide completely. Quentin reached into his satchel. I'm not going to torture you, either. He pulled the black plastic case out of the leather bag. He held it in front of him, where Greedock could see it. Quentin lifted the hinged lid, revealing the hypodermic kit. The yellow-green fluid inside the vial gleamed with its own phosphorescence. The gold flecks sparkled in the cell's light. Greedock stared at it. The leader's cornea swirled with dark red and a deep crimson.
2: Where did you get that?
1: There it was, finally. Fear. Quentin felt a rush even greater than that of crossing the goal line or winning a game. And the leader wasn't just afraid. He was surprised. Massal hadn't told him about the Gibblejuants. Despite Massal's strong loyalty to Greedock, he also held loyalty to Quentin. The leader quickly looked around the cell, perhaps wondering if he'd missed a way out, perhaps finally putting the pieces together and realizing how screwed he was. His allies were dead or had betrayed him. He had zero power. Zero. Barnes, he said, his voice suddenly thin and fragile.
2: I underestimated
1: you. We can make a deal. The speed with which Greedock could shift which mood he chose to show. So impressive. From arrogant and dismissive to vulnerable and compromising in the span of seconds. What an actor he was. An actor that could never be trusted. Never. It's too late for a deal, Quentin said. Maybe this is a chance for you to lead a useful life for once. Inky Black joined the red and crimson swirling on Greedock's cornea. Useful, the leader said.
2: I was more than useful when I plucked you out of that backwater cesspool of McCovey. I was more than useful when I gave you a multi-million credit contract. I was more than useful when I traded for the players you asked for, and I was more than shucking useful when my guidance led the Krakens to three titles.
1: Quentin savored the moment, relished it. How about when you hired an actor to play my father? How about when you threatened me, Ma, John, and Jew? When you threatened my wife? When you threatened my shucking unborn child? Quentin felt a hand on his shoulder. You're shouting, Killian said. Don't let him get in your head. Quentin hadn't realized he was shouting. He was also breathing hard. Rage had engulfed him, made him unaware of how he was acting.
2: Yes, let both of us calm down, Greedock said. You and I are well-matched opponents, Barnes. Even for sentience of our abilities, emotion can sometimes overwhelm us. Am I upset that you got the better of me? Of course I am. Are you upset over the tactics I used to get you to do what I needed you to do for the Krakens?
1: Of course you are. The leader had shifted moods yet again and just as fast as before.
2: I gave you everything you ever wanted, he said. Because of me, you met Rebecca Montaigne. Because of me, you will soon have offspring.' And because of me, you are in a position to be a parent that provides for his child, unlike your own father.
1: The hiss of a gun being drawn from a holster. I'm going to kill him myself, Killian said. Quentin held up a hand. Dad, put it away, he said, without taking his eyes off Greedock. This is my choice. Mine alone. A moment of silence, then the sound of the big pistol sliding back into place. You're right, Greedock, Quentin said. You gave me all of that, and then you tried to take it all away. Greedock swept a blackbird hand over his antennae.
2: I did. I have been in charge for over a century. I am the boss. I wanted you to know that, but I failed. Look at what you did, Barnes. You took over a prison and lured me away from my secure place. It is clear that you are too powerful to be my vassal. You are my equal. As such, you have earned both my forgiveness and my respect. Release me, and we will go our separate ways. I will not touch those you love. I give you my
1: word. Smooth. So smooth. There's still the problem with the Empire hunting me, Quentin said. You will recant your testimony before we discuss anything else. Greedock stared for a moment.
2: What assurances will you give me that if I do what you ask, you will release me?
1: Quentin took a step forward. No assurances at all. You're right, Greedock. You have been in charge for a long time. That time is over. You're not in control of anything here. I am. The slimmest curls of black touched the leader's eye, as Quentin stood and watched. Greedock, the splithead, started to shake. The moment of weakness passed quickly as the leader regained control. I will do as you ask. Greedock shifted, slightly raised his sling-held petty
2: You realize that with this wound and without my usual jewelry, the authorities may think my confession was coerced. You accept that there is nothing I can do about this fact?
1: That was a good point. But every moment Quentin waited, he feared that Gredock would find a way to fight back, to manipulate, to weasel his way out of this. I accept that possibility, and I'll take my chances, Quentin said. Beans, I assume your schmeck can record holo? Absolutely, j- j- junior Then record Gredock's confession. Quentin faced the leader, couldn't stop a gap-toothed smile of victory. Metal feet clanked on stone as Bean stepped closer, stopped a few feet from Greedock. In three, Bean said, two, two, one. There was a moment of absolute silence. It lasted long enough for Quentin to wonder if Greedock was going to refuse. Then the leader spoke.
2: I am Greedock the Splithead. I gave testimony to the fact that I saw Quentin Barnes meet with the sentients that would become the heads of the three largest churches that worship him. I stated that I saw Barnes orchestrate a false schism, and that there was no actual division of the church of Quentin Barnes. I stated that I hesitated to tell authorities of this, because Barnes had threatened my life if I spoke
1: up. The leader stopped. His body trembled slightly. Standing behind Beans, Quentin twirled a finger. Keep going. Greedock regained his self-control.
2: All of those statements are false. The truth of the matter is that I was forced to make those statements by Anna Valani, a known crime figure and the owner of the Orbiting Death GFL franchise. Valani has been frustrated by her team's inability to defeat the INF Krakens on the field, so she attempted to remove our quarterback, Quentin Barnes, by other means. While I will continue to live in fear of retaliation from Valani, who I might add, remains a suspect in the murder of former team owner sick of the death, I can no longer in good conscience perpetuate her lies.
1: Greedock fell silent. Killian reached out tapped Beans twice on his shoulder.
2: "'Recording ceased,' Beans said.
1: Quentin could scarcely believe it. He looked at his father. "'Will that be enough to clear me?' "'I have no idea,' Killian said. "'The bats are pretty inconsistent "'when it comes to enforcing their laws. "'With all the rioting we heard about "'before we came to rescue you, "'they might be looking for a way to calm things down. "'If anything will get you out of this difficulty,' Greedock's confession is it. A confession that threw Anna Volani under the bus for something she had not done. Not that the woman was innocent by any stretch. She had given Quentin the gibble after all. I need to send that recording to my agent, Danny Lundy, Quentin said. He'll get it to the right places. How soon can we leave? Once we're out of the quiescence, we can transmit to him, or we can go to Ionath and I can deliver it myself. Would Becca be there? Was it possible this nightmare was almost over? Hold on, Killian said. Even when the recording gets to your agent, it's going to take time for something to happen. You're an escaped convict now, public enemy number one. The bats will be looking for you, looking hard. If you go anywhere and the bats see you, they might shoot you on sight. You need to stay here for a while. Stay hidden. Memories of McCovey flashed. How many times had Quentin watched Bats gun down Purest Nation citizens? He'd seen people die for the most trivial reasons. He'd once seen a man get shot because that man had raised his hands after Bats had ordered him to stay still. Killian was right. We could send the little ruler back, Quentin said. Have the pilot deliver the message to Lundy. Blue Shell Eater had worked for an awful sentient, but she hadn't done anything wrong. This would let her get back to her life. Killian nodded. That might work. The yacht has to go back to Big Rock to punch to Ionath. Even with the bats hunting for you, I think we know enough smuggler tricks that the little ruler pilot can get through. If she gets stopped, she's trespassing in credorocking space, and that's a big problem, but there's nothing on board that could get her into trouble. As long as she does what she's told, the bats will board the yacht, find nothing, and she won't be hurt. Worst case scenario, she shares Greedock's confession. Maybe that gets the job done. It's a risk, but my guess is the pilot would rather take her chances than stay here and potentially get caught along with the rest of us. Quentin would leave it up to the leaky pilot. Killian was right. If she got caught here with Quentin and the others, she'd be in deep trouble, even though she'd done nothing wrong. Quented would include instructions for Lundy to give the pilot a fat bonus to make sure she delivered the confession.
2: The little ruler is my ship, Greedock said. I upheld my end of the bargain. Put me on my ship and release me.
1: Killian shook his head. You must work with some very stupid sentience. You're not going anywhere. In fact, now that we have you on record, I think we should kill you so you can't take it back later on. The older man had a point. Greedock could lie so effortlessly. If he ever made it out of here, he could change his testimony again. But worse than that, the leader could plan his revenge. Getting the CMR to back off was only part of what had to be done. Quentin needed to eliminate Greedock's power. Killing him would do that. But there had been enough death. And there was another way. Beans, Quentin said. Hold him tight. The Schmeck stepped forward. Greedock decided standing his ground wasn't the right strategy. He ran, but there was nowhere to go. Beans cornered the leader. Mismatched metal hands snatched Greedock up and held him by the middle shoulders. Quentin pulled the injector gun from the case. So light, it felt like nothing.
2: Barnes, you yackle chat, do not do this!
1: No smoothness in Greedock's voice now. No control. This wasn't the right thing to do. But neither was murder. And doing nothing was as good as signing Becca's death sentence. There was no pure right. No pure wrong. Just a maddening gray area with no defined border. Quentin removed the vial. The gold flecks inside the yellow-green fluid reflected the overhead lights. He slid the vial into the injector's chamber, clicked it home, then lightly pressed the trigger until a drop of fluid came out of the pointed tip.
2: Bonds, you have no honor, Greedock said. We had a deal.
1: There was no point in telling the leader that no deal had been made. It was this, or live in fear, forever. Dad, Quentin said, hold his upper wrists. The older man did as he was told. Despite the broken pedipalp arm, Greedock struggled, but Killian was far too strong for him.
2: Do not dare do this to me,
1: the leader said.
2: This is an abomination.
1: Quentin adjusted his grip on the injector. All he had to do was squirt it into Greedock's mouth, make sure the leader swallowed. Then it was death, transformation, or nothing. And what happened if it was nothing? If that happened, there was no choice. He would have to murder Greedock in cold blood. "'You brought this on yourself,' Quentin said. "'I'm sorry it has to be this way, but I have to protect my family.' The leader fought, tried to kick, lurched with everything he had.
2: "'Do not do this to me! I do not agree! I do not want this! I do not give consent!'
1: forcing this on Greedock against his will or killing him. Both were evil acts, but changing him would at least let him live. Quentin chose the lesser of two evils. He reached out with his right hand and grabbed Greedock's face. Killian held the leader's thin pedipalp wrists. Little, three-fingered hands open and close, trying to reach for the injector for Quentin's face. Quentin jammed his thumb under Greedock's mouth, pressed up, trying to force open the leader's vertical jaws. Lightly at first, then harder. 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 Finally, Greedock's mouth opened. Quentin stuck the hypo in, pulled the trigger. Yellow-green fluid shot into Greedock's mouth. Before the leader could cough or spit, Quentin dropped the injector, used both hands to press the leader's mouth closed to hold it closed. A dribble of sparkling yellow-green dribbled onto the leader's black chest fur. Greedock fought, but he could not free himself. Finally, unable to stop his body's natural reactions, the panicked quith leader swallowed. Instantly, the fight went out of him. He sagged. Everyone stood there for a few minutes, still, silent. Put him down, Quentin said. Gently. Killian and Bean slowly set the leader on the stone floor. Greedock didn't move. Quentin stared. What had he done? A hand on his shoulder. It's begun, Killian said. No going back now, son. We have to let it run its course. Come on. In a daze, Quentin walked to the door. There, he stopped, turned, and looked back at his team owner, at his enemy at the sentient that had inadvertently taught him so much his eye closed greedock the splithead lay on the floor a barely breathing furry lump next to him knelt Masal the efficient greedock's lid raised partway the softball-sized eye gazed out what was that expression hatred acceptance pleading quentin no longer cared misal I have to lock this door, Quentin said. Come on. The worker answered without looking back.
2: I will stay here for a while,
1: he said, his voice distant, barely audible.
2: This is my doing just as much as it is yours.
1: Quentin closed the door and locked it tight. You have been listening to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series, written and narrated by Scott Ziegler. Follow Scott on Instagram and Twitter, where he is at Scott Ziegler, one word, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Scott Ziegler. For more information on the Galactic Football League series and for more free audiobook podcasts, visit scottsigler.com. The Gangster was directed by A. Sigler engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2020, Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Super Weapon.